Malcolm here, and welcome to a sermon by Tony Heath, which we'll get into in just a moment. The reason you're seeing my face before you see Tony's is because, unfortunately, I forgot to press the record button at the beginning of his sermon, so we lost the first two or three minutes. So what I thought I'd do is just do my best to uh, reproduce at least the flavor of what he was talking about, which will then help make sense of the rest of his lesson. Now, his lesson is called Fearfully and Wonderfully Made from Psalm 139. And so Tony introduced the idea that God knows us. Do we know ourselves? God has made us, knows how we're meant to function. He goes on later in the sermon to talk about God's wisdom being the best way to live our lives by. But to begin with, he talks about some areas in which he feels his own thinking has been shown to be short of God's own wisdom. And in particular, at the beginning, he shared very openly and vulnerably about his initial response to the Black Lives Matter movement that sprung up or was perhaps we could say more was uh, made more clear to the rest of the world by what happened to George Floyd. And he spoke about how at the beginning of this, he felt that it was clearly tragic what had happened, but it didn't have anything to do with him. And then, as he reflected more, thought about it more, another scripture came to mind, which is Isaiah 58, verse 6, which says, Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? So he started thinking about the fact that God God cares about justice, and therefore I need to care about the injustices done to many black people now and in the past. So he talked about his own journey, and as he went on from there, he began to talk about a book that he'd been reading, which I think will pick up the sermon from there. But I do want to say I appreciate Tony's vulnerability, which certainly endeared him to me and everybody that was online today. I hope you enjoy the rest of Tony's sermon. I did. I read the book for 28 days and I did. I tried my best. Sometimes it was difficult. I tried to be receptive. But, you know, the thing that really alongside of it, I wanted to have a spiritual perspective towards the whole thing as well. I thought I want this to be a spiritual journey as well. And at the time, I'd been reading another book by J.J. Packer called Knowing God, and he dug out this psalm. And, you know, it was amazing that right, you know, the, the conclusion of Psalm 139 is pretty much this. What the, the psalmist says is, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, that's quite inspiring. It's it's a challenging scripture, but it shows really the heart of the psalmist is, you know, that the psalm is about really how much God knows about us. But right there at the end, when it concludes in the matter, what he says is, is that what I want to come out of this is I want you, God, to search me and to help me know myself and find out if there's anything offensive in me and lead me in a way of everlasting life. So that really started to combine, really helped me to combine this sense of wanting to understand myself, how I felt about these things, and and at the same time wanting to change and it being a spiritual journey. Next slide, please. So let's, let's look at Psalm 139. 
verses one to five, or one to six, sorry. It says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You know me when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it. Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. You know, it's scary how well God knows us. But also, I think it challenges us sometimes to think about how well we know ourselves. You know, I think it says, you know, when I sit and when I rise. You know, one, one really way, good way for me to think about understanding myself is, what do I think about first thing when I wake up in the morning? You know, often I wake up and it's very early in the morning. And the first thing I think is, have my grown up adult children returned home that night before because we've got four of us in the house now and it's always a worry for me is everybody home and so there's sort of a sort of an insecure thought is my first thought is like let me go check everybody's at home if they have if they've gone out or something like that but you know it's those first thoughts what are the first thought you have then it says it talks about you know it says before a word is on my tongue lord you know it completely you lord know it completely it's interesting isn't it what we do and don't say you know have you ever been on mute and you think people can't hear you and suddenly realize you're not on mute last week we had a, a little book club meeting with fun lola and um i was struggling to get in the meeting and i finally sort of half got in and i thought they couldn't hear me and I couldn't hear them, but actually they could hear me. And what they could hear was my sheer frustration as I shouted at my wife to come and help me fix the technology so I could, so I could actually join in the meeting. You know, and, when I, <laughs> and then when I got in the meeting, people were sending me messages like, are you okay? You know, and it was kind of scary, kind of scary. But you know, there's things inside of you sometimes that, you know, you just, there's that moment when it doesn't come out of your mouth, you feel like you're on mute and people don't really know you or don't know what's going on. But you know, God knows everything about us. And you know, it, it, it's, it's, you know it, it's no good. You know, it's, it's really funny. Um, I go for a walk most mornings to pray. I go out the front door and every now and then I run into the, a guy who's walking his dog. Well, several people walking down, but there's one guy in particular who walks his dog. And um, whenever this dog sees, sees me, it growls at me. It just growls at me. And I look at it and I'm like, oh, and this little, I, I I'm no good at dogs, but it, it, I don't know what sort of dog it is, but it just growls me. But this one time I went out last week or a couple of weeks ago and, and I heard the, the uh, owner say to him, why don't you like him? <laughs> I thought, what? It's official. The dog doesn't like me, sort of thing. And I was remember thinking, like, you know, what is it the dog sees that he doesn't like? 
I thought maybe he sees an evil spirit walking by me. Do you know what I mean? Or walking with me. I don't know. There was some sort of fear about what the dog could see. You know, it, it's, it's funny how, um, it's funny how we, you know, there's things inside of us that maybe we think, oh, maybe if somebody else could see that, it's, what would, would they growl at me like that dog? Do you know what I mean? That sense of like, can somebody see something that isn't good in me? You know, I think this, this, this whole subject around racism and stuff has helped me to really think, you know, there are sometimes things about us that we can't see, that we don't know, that we need opening up to ourselves. You know, that we need making visible to us. And, you know, one of the things I've basically done is, uh, Karen, my wife, encouraged me, she did as well, is talk to people and listen and try to understand, you know, the way you can be, the way there can be things about you that you don't even see. I have a very good friend who, um, I'm not going to share his name, but basically he, he's, he's black and he's a salesman. And um, we had a great conversation this week and he shared about a time when he was working in a job and he was p pitching for a particular sale. And his boss, it got to the point where they needed to go and do the presentation to the company. And his boss said to him, you can't go and do that presentation. And he said, why? He said, because you're black and they won't want to listen to a black person. And it was amazing. He said that he, was, he wasn't upset. He stayed very calm about it. But he went and looked for another job. And he, he found another job with a competitor. And when he went to that competitor, the company he'd been working for said, no, you can't go work for our competitor. We've got you on a on a, um, on a, you know, a, a contract, a clause in your contract. So what my friend had to do was he had to take them to court for constructive dismissal because of racism so he could take this other job. And it, it all worked out. But he said to me at the end, he said, but I can still talk to my boss at the other company. I can, we're, we're still on good speaking terms. He said, because he didn't understand what he, what he was doing. He couldn't see what he was doing. He couldn't see that it was wrong because, you know, he, it was, it was like his view was distorted by, by his life, the way, the way he'd grown up, the things he thought, the way the background he came to, he just couldn't see it. And so, you know, it wasn't until that happened that he realized it was wrong. You know, I encourage you, you know, we, we all sort of, we can find our own sort of, have our own sort of unconscious biases, you know, and it's so easy, so easy to do. Yeah, God, you know, in this psalm, it really says, you know, God knows everything. He, and we, we want to search ourselves out and change those things that can't be seen. Next slide, please. Okay. I agree. You know, my, my other thought, and I've only really got two, two or three thoughts, is that, you know, the wrong decision. I'm going to tell you another story, because that's what I like to do. So um, I hope you can... I don't you probably won't be able to see this actually I just realized you may not be able to see this but if you can it's good I am recently bought a um, a coffee grinder this is my coffee grinder now what happened was Alex my son bought me about one kilo of Bob Marley coffee for Father's Day which I was very excited about one 
one kilo of Bob Marley coffee. And um, that's what Marley family have their own coffee brand. But I realized that it was beans and I had no way of grinding my coffee. So I needed to go and buy a coffee grinder. So I went online and I looked at all the expensive coffee grinders and um, I felt like, uh, before I decide to buy one of those, let me look at one of the, some of these hand grinders. And so I, I, I kind of found a hand grinder and it said, you know, this will make you two or three cups of coffee at a time and it'll be good exercise as well. Turning the handle every morning will be good exercise as well. And so I ordered my coffee grinder. When I arrived, it's an ornament. I mean, it truly is an ornament. This is, cannot be used for grinding coffee, but you know, you, inside of this box, this little drawer inside, you get about three teaspoons full of coffee. And I've got this giant bag of Bob Marley coffee to, to grind, you know, one kilo. So I felt such a fool. And Karen was looking at me. She said, I told you which grinder to buy. I told you, buy the Cuisinart. It's got a big, I said, no, I, you know, but I felt really stupid. I'd made the wrong decision. So often I think, you know, as Christians, you know, we want to make the right choices. You know, it says in, um, again, in Psalm 139, it says, for you created my inmost be being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in the book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. You know, God knitted us together. He made us who we are. But I think sometimes what we want to do through our relationship with God is become incredibly wise. We think that, you know, we read the Bible, we read that the books about wisdom, and we decide if, the, if we somehow take enough advice and we um, consult enough people, we read the Bible enough, we learn Proverbs, Psalms, we listen to Jesus, somehow we'll become incredibly wise and we'll have this sort of bird's eye view of life where we never make any, we, we don't make mistakes because we make the right choices and things won't go wrong. And when we make a mistake and we get the wrong coffee grinder, we feel like, how could we have, you know, we, I didn't listen to the advice. I wasn't wise. I didn't think it through. But, you know, truly it says, you know, God's thoughts are so much bigger than ours. What he sees and the, the you know, his thoughts are more outnumber the grains of sand. You know, we, we know very little. God knows so much. Next slide, please. You know, Ecclesiastes was perhaps written by Solomon. And at the end of his life, written at the end of his life. And as he reflected, 
he realized in many ways, I mean, it's a pessimistic book, that's the style of writing, it's pessimism, but he realized he wasn't as white, that wisdom actually wasn't what he thought it was. He said, you know, consider what God has done. Who can straighten what he has made crooked? When times are good, be happy, but when our bad, consider this, God has made the one as well as the other. Therefore, no one can discover anything about their future. You know, in, in, verse, in uh, chapter 12, verse 12, he says, of making many books, there is no end, and much study wearies a body. He says, you know, even reading lots of books isn't necessarily the answer. You know, in reality, I think the true answer, wisdom is not so much what you know, but your willingness to let yourself be molded and, and you know, experience things with God and to learn through your life, not just through the things you get right, but for things you get wrong. You know, and I, I think as I, I was looking into this subject again of, of racism and stuff, one of the things I realized was I didn't really know what I was thinking what I should think, what I should say, what I should do, even to start to, 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 to work with this thing, to do this work or to, you know, to, ch to be part of change. And yet I realized if I didn't say anything, if I didn't do anything, God cannot mold me. He cannot change me. If I'm dependent on just acquiring knowledge, I'm, you know, maybe I'll get all the knowledge in the world but it won't really change anything until I act or till I do something and I'm allowed to be changed by God. Next slide, please. Um, you know, Jesus, when Jesus came to, to, to be on the earth, he didn't really, you know, one that he didn't really make life any easier for people. He didn't just come with a, like a prophet just telling people the way everything was going to work out so much. But what he said, and in John chapter 8, it says, when Jesus spoke against the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. In many ways, Jesus came not to, to, to take the need for us to experience and learn through our lives, but to just make sure that he provided a light so that we could we won't feel like we're walking in the darkness. And in John chapter 8, verse 31, 32, it says, To the Jews who had believed in Jesus said, If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. You know, that resonated with me because, again, it was very much, it was, it was similar in some ways to what I think Leia was trying to say. She, you know, it says, if you hold, you know, we have to commit to following the teachings of Jesus. Then you will know truth. Sometimes I think we want to know truth and then, you know, it'll we'll work it out. But it's in some ways with Jesus, it's more about committing to, understanding his teachings and following those, then we will see the truth. And truth sets us free.
those are my few thoughts for you this morning. I hope that, that you know, that, that, that some helps you. I really just want to encourage you, you know, today just to think, you know, what parts of me, you know, are the things inside me, are the unconscious things, things I think and do that, that, that I, you know, I need to, to, to connect with, particularly in the area of racism. Think about yourself. You know, I, for me, I remember even this week, I was walking down to the station and I looked across the road and I saw two black guys standing there and one of them was smoking. There was a moment in my brain that went, he might be smoking drugs. Don't know where that comes from. But it just, it just popped into my mind. You know, it's so easy to just have unconscious things that go on in your mind. You know, I want to encourage us to be open and vulnerable and think about how we can change those things. And also just this sense of don't, we don't need to be wise. The hymn said, God only is wise. You know, our wisdom is our ability to listen to God and to be in a relationship with God and let that relationship mold and change us. So amen. So thank you for your time and I hope that was encouraging to you. Thank you, Tony. I think I can say for all of us, it was very encouraging. Um, I'm going to hand it over to Andy B now to take the, some of those thoughts and lead us to the cross so that we can take communion yeah. together. Fantastic. Uh, Tony, I want to say a huge thank you on behalf of the Boachi clan just for your um, extraordinary depth and for having the courage to face some of those things and to convey it with such passion. Um, I'm actually quite moved by what you said. Um, the way that you connected the knowledge of God with our own self-knowledge um, and directed us towards divine wisdom and away from human wisdom um, was just amazing. You've given us a lot of food for thought and I, uh, I echo Malcolm's thoughts. We're probably going to be thinking about that for um, a little while um, after this. So thank you very much for that. I really appreciate it. I want to pick up on a couple of the things that you said as I try to um, prepare our minds to bless the communion uh, before we take it together. The God of Psalm 139 is very much uh, the God who already knows. I'm sure you picked that up. Uh, in verse 4, uh, he says, Even before there is a word on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you know it all. In other words, I can't utter a word without God already knowing it. In verse 8, the psalmist writes, If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, you are there. That is, I can't go anywhere without God already being there, already knowing that I'm there. And in verse 13, he writes, For you formed my inward parts, you wove me in my mother's womb. In other words, I can't even be what I am without God already having made me so in my mother's womb. In verse 15, it writes, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. The mother's womb is that secret place in verse 15. The psalmist is saying, you know what, if there was ever a time where I was concealed in the darkness, out of God's sight, then surely it was at the moment that I was conceived, when even my own mother wasn't aware of my existence. It was as if, you know, I was buried in some deep cave in the earth. And yet, the psalmist writes, it was precisely then that I was fearfully 
and wonderfully woven together by God who was doing on a tiny scale what really he was doing in a major way at creation. At creation, he was creating life itself. Here he's creating an individual life. And anything that you value, you take time to know intimately and intricately. This is what the psalmist conveys here. God knows these things even before we know them because he cares so intimately and so intricately. And this is, of course, what the Gospels confirm. Because anything you value, you're also willing to pay an incredibly high price for. The death of Jesus on the cross, in many ways, is God's seal of our ultimate value in his eyes. And again, I love what Tony shared, because I think it's good for us to remember that we're valued irrespective of who and what we are. So as we take the communion meal together, I want us to meditate on what it means to be given ultimate value by God. God who knows our every heartbeat, our every intuition, our every fear, our every joy, and is willing to pay the ultimate price to demonstrate just how valuable we are. Bow your heads with me. Let's pray together. Let's bless the communion meal and then take communion together. Let's pray. Father, I pray that the bonds of unity between your people will run deep, that they will run far more deeply than just doing the same things or holding to the same values, but rather knowing that we are connected by the death and resurrection of the one Jesus Christ, who has undone the work of evil, who has destroyed the power of sin and has opened a new way for us to be your people. And I pray that we would treasure that every single day and that even now as we take the bread and wine which represent Jesus' body and blood together, that we will acknowledge just how valuable we are in your eyes, whether we're black, white, blue, green, tall, short, whatever, that we are of ultimate value in your eyes, that we are the absolute pinnacle of your creation. And help us to um, dwell on the huge cost it was to heaven that we would have value in your eyes and that we would be uh, brothers and sisters together. Lord, please bless the bread and wine as we take it. And we pray that we have a deep sense of our value uh, in our hearts uh, as we share this meal together. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>